So reading from Revelation chapter 4 and 5. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the four, 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the, tw the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten, time, ten thousands times ten thousand. 
They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. So we're going to look at the book of Revelation this morning. It's a book we don't often hear sermons on. I wonder why. Well, one reason is there are many weird and strange interpretations of it, aren't there? But you know, it's very simple, really, because if you look at chapter 1, verse 1, there you've got the whole purpose of the book in a nutshell. There it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what this book is all about, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The, period, the chapters we're looking at this morning a good example of that, aren't they? The Lamb, worshipped. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So when you read the book of Revelation yourself, ask yourself this question, where is the Lord Jesus Christ in this chapter? And you won't go too far wrong. So in chapter 4, John was ushered into the presence of God. The throne room, we call it. The throne room, where everything happens in heaven and on earth. And he saw a vision of God in all his majesty and authority, power and glory, seated upon a great throne. He is viewed as the creator of all things with complete sovereignty over them. His will is seen as supreme throughout his whole creation. That means this earth. And because of this, he is worshipped by all his creatures. Now the purpose of the vision was to instruct the church of his time, John's time, and comfort it in its continued persecution from Jews and Gentiles alike. And the same truth congregation is true for us too. It's vital for us to believe it the church of the 21st century. It helps us in our personal tests of faith when things seem to go wrong, knowing that his plan for our life from the throne room is motivated by his love, his love, his grace, his love and his grace and more grace, fullness of grace upon you. Wow. And it's also strength and comfort for today's persecuted church in so many nations throughout this world to know that Almighty God is on the throne, reigning, ruling for His glory. Then, while His mind must have been overwhelmed by such a magnificent sight, John is favoured with Act 1, 
sin too. Because you see, as we read, as Helen read it, the two chapters go together. You have to be careful with this chapter division in Scripture. The church has done that, and often it leads us astray. Read those chapters all together. One vision, several acts. And he sees that the one on the throne is holding a scroll, a rolled-up parchment. They didn't have books yet. It has writing on both sides, and that was very unusual for those days. And that indicates that it is a very wordy document. There's a lot of writing here about a lot of things. Further, this scroll is sealed with seven seals so that its contents remain unknown and inoperative. Seals, what are they? We don't have them these days so much. But some of you may remember when an important letter had to have a wax seal over the closing leaf, the back, to denote its authenticity. The one who could open it was the one to whom it was addressed. That person was the only one who was authorized to open it and read the letter's contents and act upon them. John is further informed that no one, absolutely no one, has been found worthy. Important word in this chapter, worthy enough to break the seals and take charge of its contents. An authorized person could not be found. It seems as if Jesus is not there yet. And this affects John greatly. He is deeply moved. He breaks down in profuse weeping, at which we might be more than a little surprised. Why would he weep? It implies that John knows something, something about the contents of this scroll, that unless it is opened, there will be dire consequences for him and for those he loves on earth. For example, the congregation of Ephesus, where he had just been pastor and was being persecuted. Remember, at this time, John is suffering for the testimony of Jesus. There's a neat phrase for your prayers. Lord, help me to bear a good testimony of Jesus today. On the island of Patmos, just off the what we would know, Turkey's coast today. And he's not the only Christian who's suffering. Many had and many more would be sealing their faith in Jesus by their deaths. And here we are, seated in the Williton Reformed Church, enjoying life, not having the skerrick of fear of being persecuted for Jesus. It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? When our brothers and sisters are over the seas there, being stoned, murdered, burned. The least we can do is pray for them, isn't it? 
We'll do that later. In Christ's letter to the church in Pergamum, Christ honors the memory of a man called Antipas, declaring him in that letter to have been a faithful witness, a faithful witness, having been put to death where Satan lives. But then he is given some more very good news. One has suddenly been found who is worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals. Joy in heaven. John is happy. We are told it is one who has triumphed, conquered, overcome. And in verse 9, we are told how he has triumphed by being slain. That's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? How can you conquer when you are killed? But in Jesus' case, it makes sense, doesn't it? So that through his death, his blood was able to purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and the whole creation. You all know the name of that person who was found worthy, don't you? The Lord Jesus Christ. Just look at his titles. Number one, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We sang it, didn't we? Great song. As a lion, he is the king, the king of the jungle, the Lion King. Interesting phrase. He is the one with great strength and power, able to strike fear into the hearts of his enemies. The king of the jungle, no less. And that reminds us, as much of the book of Revelation does, of Old Testament passages and references. We go back as far as Genesis 49, where we read of Jacob's dying words of blessing to his 12 sons especially his word of blessing to Judah. Quote, You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, you crouch and lie down. The scepter, the language changes now to a king. The scepter will not depart from Judah until he comes to whom it belongs. What an amazing prophecy. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. He was the prophesied one who would possess the royal scepter, the ruler's staff that declared him to be a king to whom the nations would give obedience. That's the thrust of the following words of Jacob until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. It's all determined long before Jesus was born. And now this prophecy is applied to Jesus in the throne room of heaven. His second title, The Root of David to David's great son. The Lord had promised him the throne of his kingdom would be established for how long? Forever. 
a direct title of Messiah, the one promised in the Old Testament, the one anointed by God himself, who would establish his kingdom on earth and reign on King David's spiritual throne forever. Already in the book of Revelation, Christ himself had applied the title, the one who holds the key of David, to himself in the letter to the church of Philadelphia. And later in the book, chapter 22, Christ is given the title, the offspring of David. Quite a Davidic book, isn't it? Again emphasizing he was that promised descendant of King David. Then, one of the 24 elders who stood before the throne directed John to see. He says, see. And he said, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one found worthy to open the seals and open the scroll. So John turns because he couldn't see him at where he was standing. And he sees, turns to see this worthy lion. But what does he see? Not a lion, but a lamb. That would have surprised him, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's another example of the paradoxes in the visions of Revelation. Later on, we find that the city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, is a bride. Now, that takes a lot of imagination, isn't it? A city is a bride. Wow. And then we've already seen the seven spirits before the throne. Uh, Not just seven spirits before the throne, but they are the seven eyes of the Lamb. That's a bit of a mind-boggling change too. The lion congregation is also... A lamb. And what an amazing lamb it is. It has seven horns and seven eyes. Any artistic people here? Try drawing it when you get home this afternoon. It's not necessarily a pleasant picture, but it is a symbolic picture of Jesus. The eyes, John tells us, are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Yes, that's where the Holy Spirit is. He is in all the earth, doing the will of the Lamb. Just as the Father and the Son are one, remember Jesus said, I and the Father are one. What an amazing statement that was. But here also we learn that the Son and the Spirit are also very close together. Yes, they are one. They are integrated. Now in Scripture, horns were used as a symbol of strength and power, fitting into that lion symbol. And seven, that seven keeps repeating throughout the book, is the symbolic number for completeness, perfection, fullness. So here we see a lamb who possesses divine authority and all power. Further, 
the lamb looks as if it had been recently slain, but it is nevertheless very much alive. Again, we have reference to the fact that the lamb is the Christ, the Son of God, as he was the one only recently slain as an atonement for the sins of his people. Has not the Christ of chapter 1, that great majestic figure, already introduced himself as, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Remember John the Baptist's words, Behold, the Lamb of God, who is taking away the sin of the world. And lastly, but most significantly, the Lamb is standing in or in close proximity to the center of the throne. Now we've read again, here we have the paradox. There is one who is sitting on the throne, but the Lamb is very close to also that throne, the place of God himself. <sighs> then we can take a breath and say, wow, what an astonishing sight John had. And we might well ask just what has been happening since the risen Christ was talking to that lady Mary Magdalene in the garden about, I am returning to my father. But you know, don't you, the Christ, the Lamb of God, has now ascended to his Father and our Father. The message he gave to Mary to convey to his disciples has now occurred. Jesus said, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus has returned to heaven and is now about to begin his royal reign over all of creation, over all power in heaven and on earth, given to him by the Father for accomplishing his earthly mission. What was that? Redeeming sinners to himself. And this vision can be likened <clears throat> to a, con cor a coronation the official issuing in of Jesus to his great now work of ruling all creation with authority and power in heaven and on earth to the glory of God the Father. This one alone is found worthy to open the scroll. And then John sees the Lamb very interesting, paradoxical, visionary language here. John sees the lamb take the scroll. Now, they got four legs, you know, no hands. How did that happen? But in visions, things can happen like this. They're not a real thing. He takes the, lamb, takes the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And this action of the Lamb congregation is absolutely momentous. It is a sacred historical moment. It is the Father's acknowledgement that the Son has successfully completed his work. 
It is the Father glorifying the Son, honoring Him. And now the Son will receive His inheritance, the gathering in of the nations into the congregation of the Lord. That ancient covenant promise to Abram that one of his descendants would bless all the peoples of the earth, redeeming them from the penalty of their sin, restoring them to fellowship with their Creator. It's now realized. This moment is so momentous that all of heaven responds with three grand doxologies of worship. The four cherubim and the 24 elders who surround the throne fall down before the Lamb in worship. The first doxology. The elders with their harps and golden bowls full of incense, representing the prayers of the saints, sing a new song of worship about the Lamb, His greatness and His achievements of His recent crucifixion. And these words, these same words, they roll off our tongues, don't they, already today? And they've been the inspiration for so many Christian songs and hymns through the ages. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. That's how it begins. The song begins with these stirring words, words that are often ignored by the songwriters and wrongly so. This is the purpose, the reason why he is worthy, why we sing about his worthiness. He is, can open the scrolls, the scroll and open the seals. But then there is a greater sound, the immense harmonious voice of innumerable angels entirely encircling the throne picking up the song of the cherubim and the elders from what we call chapter 4, and adding their own words of worship, again making the atonement of Jesus the focus of their worship. A second doxology. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive the power and the wealth and the wisdom and the strength and the honor and the glory and the praise. What more can be said? Did you notice how many words there were? Seven. There's that number again. This is the action of Jesus that explains the meaning of the above words, triumphant, conquering, overcoming. Yes, Jesus has atoned for sin, congregation. He has triumphantly returned to the Father. Now what? Now what? Well, these actions have made him worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. This is the next big event on the redemption agenda. But what does it mean? And then the third doxology of powerful worship from all the inhabitants of heaven, saints and angels bursts forth. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the praise and the honor and the glory and the power forever and ever. 
and the adoration and the exaltation of the Lamb and the Father is concluded with a final conclusive Amen from the cherubim while the elders prostrate themselves in continual worship. The coronation is almost complete. Jesus has been declared King of kings, Lord of lords, the ruler of the kings of the earth. But you're wondering, aren't you, what about this scroll? Why is it so important to be opened? What are the words inside it, both sides? Now, answer that correctly, we must do a bit of sneaking ahead into the third scene of this first act, where the seals are broken one by one and the message revealed. And what we find is a series of divine judgments upon the earth that terminate in the sixth, sixth seal with God's final judgment about to fall on the wicked and unrepentant. We also note that all these disasters that strike the earth are under the control of the powerful lion lamb. In the scroll and its seals, we see the continuing history of the earth from God's point of view, not man's, not the historians, not the medias, not the governments, not businesses, all within the sovereign power of the Lamb, the Christ, who has now ascended to his throne and rules in grace and mercy over his church, but in warning, judgment, and wrath over the anti-Christian world. This is God's point of view. And that will happen until his second coming. This is the earth's reality congregation, not that of the medias that influences us so much, or government's policies, or big business, or even minority groups that influence our thinking. This is reality from the throne, God's perspective, which is the only perspective. Now, for the young, suffering, and persecuted church of John's day, without a completed scripture and no theological colleges, it was enormous comfort and assurance to know that Christ was reigning and in control of the events on earth, the very events in their personal lives, when they were thrown to the lions, thrown into the prisons and the dungeons of those days. To know that Satan could not halt the progress of the gospel through the Roman Empire and beyond to the uttermost parts of the earth. Comfort and assurance, peace in the heart, joy even in the heart. Remember Paul in prison in Philippi? What's he doing after being flogged in, at midnight? 
He's singing psalms. He's singing psalms of praise to God. The Spirit of God works wonders in men's hearts. We, the church of today, need that same knowledge and assurance because our faith often fails when the Word speaks derisively about God or a God who is responsible for tsunamis and volcanoes and earthquakes and hurricanes and natural disasters and even COVID-19. What the world reveals is its rebellion against God as Creator. And in its pride and arrogance, it dismisses the divine truth that their unbelief and treatment of Christ demands divine retribution. They demand a God who does not look at the rebellious heart of man, but only on his pres presumed good deeds. A God who will not punish sin, but accepts everybody into heaven. They want a God who is a real softy, a God of their own imagination, one that they have made up and therefore is false. Yet the Lord of love and grace, the Lion King, still extends that gospel invitation throughout the time of the scroll that whoever feels the burden of guilt and sin can still come to the Savior for forgiveness, complete forgiveness of all your sins. And still today, there is a persecuted and suffering church which also needs to know that things are not as they seem to be. The ascended crowned king is is sitting on his throne and governing all the evil of mankind, even the deaths of his people, which in his sight is a precious thing. The voice of the martyrs, Barnabas, and many other Christian organizations remind us constantly of what's going on in the world. The media doesn't report it, and I want to read to you a little story here from Uganda. And after I've read it, I'm going to give you all opportunity to pray for this lady and her situation. In chapter 5 of Revelation, the prayers of the saints are represented as incense rising to heaven on which God will act. Our prayers, too, this morning will be just like that for this lady. Let me read to you of the story. Her name is Hanafar. Don't forget that. Hanafar you pray for. Hanafar is 40 years old. She was born into a Muslim family, and she married a Muslim man. However, her faith in Islam was shaken when her children became terribly ill. Her husband called imams and sheikhs to pray for the children, but their health did not improve. Finally, Hanifah felt compelled to take the children to a Christian church. She would secretly take them to services, and believers from the church began secretly visiting her home as well. <clears throat> After some time of prayer, the children were healed. 
Hanafar and her children placed their trust in Christ and were baptized. When her husband discovered that they were secretly attending church, he chased them from his home and cut off all financial support. Hanafar and her children struggled financially, so her husband asked them to come home and return to Islam. But Hanafar remained firm in her commitment to Christ. She says, I have seen the power of God and the joy we received in Christ. I cannot go back to Islam. I have found the God who heals. If he healed my children, then he will be able to feed us and clothe us. Hanafar's church has been able to help them with some living expenses, but they are struggling. That's a story, just one of many, many. Congregation, I invite you to spend a short time in prayer. I'll finish with the word, Amen. Can we bow in prayer and let our prayers rise to God in heaven? Hanafar. Amen. As Christians in Williton, we know his revealed plan. We know that we are only strangers on this earth, and that after a short period of suffering and pain, there will be glory, nothing compared to anything in this world. And that will be finally followed by a new heaven and a new earth. But that's another sermon. But what about us? Today, tomorrow, he calls us to bear a testimony of Jesus, to be faithful witnesses, as Antipas was. In our lives, in our conversation, that is, with people you bump into and talk to, never denying the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who has ascended and is now reigning. He offers forgiveness, joy and peace to all. He is the Lion King. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you from the bottom of our heart for these visions that you gave to John, your servant. We thank you that he had to write them down carefully so that the church of all ages could know what's going on in heaven above and on earth below. Lord, strengthen our hearts and minds with the assurance that you are the king, the ruler of this earth over all nations, and that your will is being done on this earth. We don't understand it, Lord, how we can do things freely, and yet they be appointed by you. But Lord, we... We know that that is so. So, Lord, help us in our lives this day, this week, to worship the worthy King, the Lamb upon the throne. Sing to him soon as we close this service and bring glory to our great Saviour for what he has done for us. 
In his name we pray. Amen.